Good morning. I, uh, I noticed a lot of you brought pillows. And then I realized, no, it's just bags under your eyes because you lost an hour of sleep. But uh, glad that you're here. I asked Linda, I said, well, do you think between the rain and the time change, it may affect our attendance? Uh, but it is good to see everyone who is here. And all of you who are still in your pajamas, welcome. Glad to have you here at Highland Park. My name's Dave. I'm on staff here. And we are looking forward to a good day of worship, good day to celebrate together. Uh, one of the things that I do want to remind you here and also online has to do with our offering. Uh, here in our building, there's a little blue box out there. And some of you who haven't been back since we instituted the blue box, you may want to just come and say, hey, where's the blue box? I hear about it every Sunday. But uh, that's where you can place your offering is in the blue box out in the, uh, out in the foyer. Uh, if you're online, there's a button for you to click for you to be able to give. And uh, we appreciate that. It's an opportunity that we have to be able to serve together uh, in, in our giving. So we're glad that you are here. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity that is ours to worship you. Father, we thank you that we can enter into your presence here in this room and in our homes, wherever people happen to be tuning in to worship today, that, Father, you are present because we have gathered in your name and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand in worship with us this morning?
be seated. As we prepare for our communion time, today, as Gabriella speaks, be talking about the subject that we're all familiar with, and that is sin in our life. 
But God knew that ever since the Garden of Eden. God planned for a way in which to address that part of our life that was just filled with rebellion. And he made this promise, and he talked about it, and we refer to it as the first messianic prophecy. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when it says that he would bruise the head of the serpent, the serpent would bruise the heel of the one who would be the Messiah. There was the price that was paid. It was the death of Christ. Jesus told his disciples the night just before of his death that he gave them new meaning to an old Passover feast. And he said that the bread would represent his body and that the cup would represent his blood. And he said, drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. We have access to forgiveness of our sin through Christ and his death on the cross. There are communion cups out in the foyer if you did not happen to get one when you came in. We have talked about how the, the form of communion has changed through the pandemic, but the meaning has not. The depth of God's love is not less. It is still for each of us to know the forgiveness of sin through the blood of Christ. Father, I pray that today as we partake, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be reminded once again that Christ willingly went to the cross, suffered the agony of the cross, died upon the cross, shed his blood on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sin. God, thank you for that. May we be mindful of that always, but especially right now. In Jesus' name, amen.
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God said, let us make man in our image. And so God created man, male and female. He created us in his likeness. And God called it good. He called all his creation good. Now, this past year has exposed our world as a very, very broken one. Uh, Our lives have been drastically changed by this virus. And did you know that across the country, there were more than 2,500 reports of anti-Asian hate-related incidents um, that were correlated with COVID-19 between March and September of 2020. And even this week, a lot of you know there have been horrible incidents of very real racism just here in Oklahoma. And so racial injustice still exists, injustice still exists, and there's so much hate and division. It's not hiding, it's out in the open. This world is so full of selfishness, greed, sickness, vulgarity, racism, Corruption, oppression, and daylight savings. (laughs) So how did we get here? How did a creation deemed good become the sideways world that we live in today? We're going to explore that today. So, well, good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Gabriella Green. I'm on staff here at Highland Park. Uh, We've been in this series called Beginnings, and week one, we talked about creation Last week, Jerron Scott spoke to us about our true identity, and this week we're going to be talking about the fall. So we're going to be reading Genesis 3, the verses will be up on the screen, and I'll be reading from the CEV. And uh, y'all, I'm just going to prep you, because this passage is good. And I don't just mean spiritually good, like it is spiritually good, but I mean it's juicy, Like, there's some good drama in there. And so I want you to just lean in and really relish this story in the Bible because it is some good, it's some good storytelling. All right, so the snake was sneakier than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day it came to the woman and asked, Did God tell you not to eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Have you ever watched a scary movie? And you know, you're like, the whole time you're yelling at your TV because somehow the main character can hear you. And they're obviously about to do the thing that they shouldn't do, right? They're gonna walk into the, the scary haunted house or the dark corn maze field thing with a sign that's written in blood that says no trespassing. That's what I feel like we're reading in Genesis 3. You know, like I just feel like something, something bad is going to happen. And uh, let's be real. If a snake approaches me, it doesn't matter if I'm in the Garden of Eden, if I'm in a botanical garden, if I'm in the Ritz-Carlton, I am not sticking around to hear what he has to say. I'm getting out of there. So the woman answered, God said we could eat any fruit from any tree in the garden except the one in the middle. He told us not to eat fruit from that tree or even to touch it. If we do, we will die. 
No, you won't, the snake replied. God understands what will happen on the day you eat fruit from that tree. You will see what you have done, and you will know the difference between right and wrong, just as God does. The woman stared at the fruit. It looked beautiful and tasty. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her, and she ate some of the fruit. Her husband was there with her, so she gave some to him, and he ate it too. And I have beef with this part, because some of y'all be thinking, oh, Eve ate the fruit first, and then she, she tempted Adam, and then Adam was deceived by Eve, and Adam just makes me so mad, you know? It's not like he's picking daisies in some other part of the garden when this snake is deceiving, tempting his wife. No, he just stands there, watches the whole thing go down, just stands there, doesn't say a thing, and he lets it happen. Like God didn't directly tell him that he shouldn't do that. And so that is just an example of passive partnership, and that's not God's design for marriage. Uh, So he then eats the fruit as soon as she hands it to him. Right away, they saw what they had done, and they realized they were naked. Oh, no. Then they sewed fig leaves together to make something to cover themselves. Late in the afternoon, a breeze began to blow, and the man and woman heard the Lord God walking in the garden. They were frightened and hid behind some trees. And I just have to share this because uh, while I was studying for this sermon, I realized something I had never noticed before. So did you know that fig leaves produce this sticky, sap-like substance that's actually poisonous and like can cause a rash that's very itchy, very painful? And so Adam and Eve, they eat this fruit to give them wisdom and knowledge and the first thing they do with this newfound wisdom and knowledge is make clothes with poison so you know I just picture them in the garden and they're hiding behind some trees and God's walking in the garden and of course God knows everything already but I can't look at this passage the same way that I have before because now I automatically just think of this, that God was walking in the garden, he just heard a, just a really loud scratching noise, and then a, maybe an ouch and a shh, and he's probably just walking in there like, ooh, them kids ate from that tree. So, the Lord called out, out to the man and asked, oops, sorry. There we go. The Lord called out to the man and asked, where are you? The man answered, I was naked, and when I heard you walking through the garden, I was frightened and hid. How did you know you were naked? God asked. Did you eat any fruit from that tree in the middle of the garden, even though he knew he did? It was the woman you put here with me, the man said. She gave me some of the fruit, and I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, what have you done? The snake, the snake tricked me, she answered, and I ate some of that fruit. Anyone else feel like they're watching Dr. Phil or some sort of TV reality show? Because the he said, she said is so real in this, in this chapter. And you know that snake is probably like hiss laughing. Like I assume that's what a snake's laugh would sound like. 
but I've never heard a snake talk, so I can't confirm. <laughs> so the Lord God said to the snake, because of what you have done, you will be the only animal to suffer this curse. For as long as you live, you will crawl on your stomach and eat dirt. Ooh, get him, God. You and this woman will hate each other. Your descendants and hers will always be enemies. One of hers will strike you on the head, and you will strike him on the heel. Then the Lord said to the woman, you will suffer terribly when you give birth, and all you moms can testify, but you will still desire your husband, and he will rule over you. The Lord said to the man, you listened to your wife and ate fruit from that tree, and so the ground will be, a curse, will be under a curse because of what you did. As long as you live, you will have to struggle to grow enough food. Your food will be plants, but the ground will produce thorns and thistles. You will have to sweat to earn a living. You were made out of soil, and you will once again turn into soil. I just think the Bible is so dang cool. You know, right in this chapter... You have intrigue, you have betrayal, you have heartbreak, and you have a little bit of hope in there too. So we've read this passage, and now I want us to dive just a little bit deeper. What are some things we can learn from this? So number one, the enemy is not for you. I remember I was a freshman in college when I first heard that big boy companies are not your friend. My professor told me, you think big boy companies like YouTube or Google have your best interest at heart? No, they aren't for you. They don't promote Christian values. They love when you stumble across something sinful online because they don't care about the state of your heart. They care about the balance of their checks. And if you're just hearing me talk about the politics of a big business right now, you're missing the point. Because the enemy is a lot like those bigger companies. He acts in Genesis 3 like he really cares about Eve knowing the truth. But he is a liar and he is a cheat. He doesn't care about you or your family or your spiritual health. He wants to bring you down. The Bible tells us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The only thing he cares for is himself. And when we look at our world today, it is easy to see the results of sin, the results of his lie in the garden. Our world is broken. It's broken because of sin, and we are broken because of sin. We break one another because of sin. Sin is the problem here. And it started in the garden. John 8 says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And when he lies, it isn't just an outright lie either. You know, it starts with a twist on the truth, which is still a lie, but... It starts with a twist on the truth, and then he just twists it and twists it until it's unrecognizable from the truth it was derived from. But his goal, his goal is not to lie to us. It's to, it's to persuade us to sin so that we will be separated from God. His favorite little phrase, and I know you've heard this before, did God really say... 
He wants to plant those seeds of doubt about your identity, about God's identity. Did God really say that eating that fruit is wrong? Did God really say that you have to love your enemy? Did God really say that pornography is bad? Did God really say that you shouldn't worry? Did God really say? And the truth is, is that we have all been absolute suckers for the lies of the enemy at one time or another, right? None of us are perfect, not Eve, Not you, not me. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We were all children of the father of lies. We have all chosen ourselves over the creator at one point. And it all started in the garden. So, number one is the enemy is not for you. Number two, the enemy over promises and under delivers. I don't know if any of you have ever read the Chronicles of Narnia or if you've ever watched the movies, but they were a childhood favorite of mine. I had like the big book that had the map on it and all of that, and I loved reading that. And they remained a favorite into adulthood. Well, in 1988, BBC, uh, the TV network, tried to make the beloved Narnia series into a TV show. Now, the special effects... They were special, (laughs) for sure, and the acting is something else, but nonetheless, I love them dearly. In the sixth book, the villain tries to trick the good guys into believing that Aslan, who is the ruler of the world above, he's the ruler, the emperor of Narnia, that's the land, Narnia, that Aslan does not have their best interests at heart. In fact, The villain tries to convince them that Aslan does not even exist, that Narnia does not even exist. She tries to trick them into believing that there is nothing outside of the walls of the underground world she has created. She wants them to forget their identity as Narnians. She is not for them, and she wants to keep their perspective limited to the dark underworld she has created. So... Um, I want us to watch their response to her temptation and her lies. And, you know, I would warn you that this scene might contain some scary content. uh, But like I said, the special effects, uh, you'll know what I mean. Uh, So would you just watch this with me? Madam, there is one thing to say. Suppose, suppose we have only dreamed and made up these things like sun, sky, stars, and moon, and Aslan himself. In that case, it seems to me that the made-up things are a good deal better than the real ones. And if this black pit of a kingdom is the best you can make, then it's a poor world. And we four can make a dream world to lick your real one hollow. How dare you threaten me! As for me, I shall live like a Narnian. 
even if there isn't any Narnia. So thanking you very much for supper. We're going to leave your court at once and make our way across your great darkness to search for our land above. Well said, Father Glad, well Take some I warned you about the special effects. But I love I love the, the Narnia TV show, the films, the books, because they they really illustrate different aspects of the Bible. And I, I love that. But you see, the group here, they decided that what the, the villain offered was nothing, nothing in comparison to what Aslan, what Narnia had to offer them. You see, the serpent did not want Eve to know that God's way, God's plans, God's designs were far better than anything he had to offer. And it makes me wonder, if Eve had placed what the serpent was offering next to what God offered, would she have made the same decision? I don't know. We'll never know. So let's do that right now. We know what the enemy has to offer, right? Instant gratification, momentary pleasure, temporary power or temporary position, and a whole lot of consequences. That's what he's got to offer. And I'm not so interested in that. So let's talk about uh, the alternative to that. Let's talk about the rewards of faithfulness. So, if you're online, I want you to answer this question in the comments. What are some of the benefits of being children of God? All right, write that in the comments. What are some of the benefits of being children of God? I can name a few. Eternal life in paradise. The forgiveness of sins. A new home. A family that loves us. Joy and suffering, peace and anxiety, spiritual authority, a great inheritance, a clean slate, spiritual blessings on spiritual blessings on spiritual blessings on spiritual blessings. And studies have shown that positive reinforcement works. The plans, the designs, the promises of God will outweigh sin every single time. God's way works. The enemy, our flesh, tries to tell us that we will be satisfied when we are instantly gratified. But that's just another lie. Instant gratification is a hollow, hollow shell. And Puddle Glum said it so good. But it is a hollow shell compared to what the Lord offers us. His desires for us offer eternal satisfaction, not just momentary pleasure. And so here are just a couple of the rewards of faithfulness as found in Scripture. Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. James 1, 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Deuteronomy 4, 29, 1 Peter 5, 6, Romans 6, 23, 2 Peter 1, 10 through 11, 
11. Matthew 25, 21 says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The enemy overpromises and he underdelivers. But God, God blesses the faithful beyond our greatest imagination. The pleasure of sin is fleeting and so underwhelming. The rewards of faithfulness are beyond anything that we could ever dream. So, let's ask the question that we're all wondering, how do we deal with sin? We live in a sinful world, how do we deal with it? We've covered that we aren't immune to it. We've talked about how we've all fallen short and still do. We've noticed that the enemy overpromises and underdelivers, and we've talked about the alternative. We've talked about what happens to the faithful. But sin isn't an easy thing to combat. It's not, it's not a simple task, but we have to ask, how do we battle against it? Number one is we seek intentional community. The first thing that Adam and Eve do after eating that fruit, besides the whole you know, fig leaf situation, is hide. They are ashamed, afraid, fearful of judgment. They hide from God, their creator. They turn on each other, blaming each other for their own sin. And y'all, it's not a surprise that one of the first consequences of sin entering the world is division. We see it every day, and the enemy is thrilled when we isolate ourselves, when we point the fingers at one another. But we have become children of God. We're not children of the father of lies anymore. No, we've been adopted as God's children, and so we don't do that anymore. We don't play that division game anymore. So what do we do? We seek the opposite of what the enemy wants. We seek community. And accountability has been shown to be vital in any recovery from addiction. And friends, sin is an addiction. One, every single person in here, every person who's watching online, everyone has experienced. So instead of hiding, instead of dividing, we need to team up. And I promise you are not the only one struggling. You are not the only one struggling. Sin is sneaky because it looks different, right? It looks very different. Some struggle with worry or anxiety. Other, others battle sexual sins. Judgment and gossip are sins too. Anger and greed, selfishness and pride. We are all broken. We all have a sin problem. But Christ, but Christ, but God has brought us together and made us whole. So I'm going to ask you today to find one or two people who you trust and ask them to support you. Ask for accountability and offer them the same support. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The body of Christ was made for this. We were made for grace and truth and love and healing. We were made for each other. So talk to someone today. 
Don't wait until you're in the trenches. Find someone today so that when you're overwhelmed by sin, when this world is too heavy for you, you will have someone to help shoulder the burden. So we, we seek intentional community. And number two, we choose humility. So why did Eve sin? Why did she eat the fruit? It's because she wanted more for herself. Eve's pride, her selfishness, and Adam's as well, brought havoc on God's good creation. Their selfish ambition was the nail in the cross. It was their pride that brought sin into the world. And so how do we deal with that? We have to humble ourselves. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. And one thing that makes the Christian God very different from other uh, gods and idols and different religions is that when we cry, our God hears us. Our God responds. When we're brokenhearted, he draws near to us. When we are weak, he is strong. In Core 52, Mark Moore says, he says this, We're called to carry a cross, to lay down our lives, and to be crucified with Christ. Self-improvement, self-respect, or self-management won't rescue us from the grip of sin. It's self-extermination. The annihilation of our pride that can bring us freedom. So before, during, and after we are faced with sin, we must surrender ourselves to the Lord. And maybe you're ready to surrender to God, but you don't know what that looks like. Well, humility. Humility begins when we cry out to God, when we raise our hands in worship and bow our knees in repentance. Humility begins with pouring ourselves out and filling ourselves back up with him, with his word. I can't even begin to tell you the amount of times that scripture has come to my rescue. Can't even begin to tell you. But we've got to empty ourselves before we fill up. So, when faced with sin, when faced with the reality of the brokenness around us or within us, we must choose humility. In order to be raised, we have to fall. Number three, we remember that we have an advocate. We have godly community. We lean into humility, but you know what our greatest weapon against sin is? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, even when the temptation of sin is too heavy to bear. The end of our rope is the beginning of the spirits. He will take care of us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And because the Spirit lives within us, we have spiritual authority. Sin does not own us. The enemy does not own us. 
in the name of Jesus, we have the spiritual authority to renounce the evil work of our flesh and the enemy. We have that power because God lives within us. We can battle sin because we know, without a shadow of a doubt, we have the upper hand. The Spirit will convict us when we fall. The Spirit will raise us up when we repent. And I love this picture of Eve and Mary. See, this, the snake is wrapped around Eve's leg as she holds the fruit. And Mary uh, is pregnant with the Messiah, with Jesus, as she crushes the snake underneath of her foot. And Dave mentioned this, but I'm going to reread Genesis 3, that just that section. God says to the serpent, You and this woman will hate each other. Your descendants and hers will always be enemies. One of hers will strike you on the head and you will strike him on the heel. His days are numbered and he knows it. That's why he's working so hard to get us to fall. It's because he knows that he's going down and he wants to take us all with him. But Jesus Christ, he went to the cross for our sins. And I can't preach that enough, that the God of heaven came to earth to take our sins, every bad thing we have done, are doing, or will do, and he died so that we would become a new creation in him. And the enemy, he tried to bring Jesus down. He tried to tempt him. He tried to destroy him, but he failed. Because the God of heaven, creator God, our God, He can't be defeated. He rose from the grave, a victorious king. And even though the enemy struck, Jesus Christ will crush his head. The enemy knows his days are numbered. Romans 16 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that snake, he wants you to think that if you fall to sin, if you're affected by someone else's sin, God won't like you anymore. He won't, he won't want you damaged. He doesn't want that. That's another lie because we serve a God who has adopted us, who loves his children. He loves his, us so, so much. He loved us unto death. He loves us more than words can fathom. And our identity is found in that love. That father of lies, that cheat, that serpent that deceived Eve and brought sin to the world, he's going to be finished. Our dad's got us. And we're going to live eternally with our true father in paradise. So I'm closing up, but sin entered the story in the garden. But the narrative is written in our favor. And one day we'll step into the garden, again, free from the heaviness of sin, clothed in righteousness. Every burden forgotten, every fear erased, we'll be reunited with our loved ones. I'm going to ask you, as we finish up, to close your eyes. Wherever you're at, would you just close your eyes? And I want you to imagine, imagine going back to the garden I want you to think of the smell of rain on freshly mowed grass. I want you to remember the happiest moment of your life. See those smiles 
that you would give anything to see again. Do you feel that? Do you, do you see that, that joy, that, that peace, that, that hope that this place, it's not our home. Heaven is going to be all that and more. You can open your eyes. Sin entered the garden, but it did not stay in the garden. And one day we will walk with God in the garden side by side, just like in the beginning. But until Jesus, until he calls us home, let us invite others to help shoulder our burdens. Let us invite humility into our worship. And let us invite the Holy Spirit to work, to move within us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that this world is not our home. We thank you that you are our Father and you love us. You loved us unto death, God. You are so good to us. And every good thing comes from you. And so we pray that when we are tempted by sin, when we are burdened by this broken world around us, that we would turn to you, that we would draw near to you, and we trust that you will draw near to us because you are a God who is faithful. You are faithful to, to complete the work that you have started within us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning, either here or online. Um, you're going to be dismissed after this. So we ask that uh, you would kind of get out of this area so that we can clean it for the Retrian Church that meets later this afternoon. But you can totally meet up in uh, the lobby or outside. And if you would like prayer, if, you would, um, if you'd like prayer or if you want someone to talk to uh, if you need someone to help you get connected with someone else to give you that support, uh, you can talk to anyone on staff. There are tons of people who would love to connect you and pray with you um, because we're, we're in this together, you guys. So you guys are dismissed, I guess. Just what you said Though the storms may come